This is the Do Better Podcast with Dr. Megan Miller and Joe Smith, launching you into the future of behavior analysis. the Do Better Podcast. In today's episode, we are discussing sleep. This is Megan. And this is Joe. This is where we blast off to the final frontier in search of improving ourselves in the field of behavior analysis. Thank you for spending time with us. Now let us begin. Hello, Joe. Actually, it's kind of good morning. It's like we're recording in the morning for once. <laughs> I know. I know. It's a it's weird because we usually don't ever record in the morning at all. I know. Uh, but yeah, how are you doing? I'm good. It's funny that we're talking about sleep today because I, I say I'm good, but I'm still, I don't know, but so tired. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> maybe I'll learn some things about improving my sleep today. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, I mean, I know I could. I mean, so let's just talk about last night. Last night, we were able to record a podcast. And then I went off and, you know, handle housework. But I did not have a lot. I mean, great sleep last night. Yeah, because because I violated so many, (laughs) so many of the rules that, you know, that you shouldn't be doing this. And um, which is funny. And and I'm enjoying this cup of coffee because I need it first thing this morning. <laughs> if you guys don't follow us on uh, do.better.pod, go follow us and you're able to see uh, the post I made with my beautiful, beautiful Mandalorian coffee mug. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I, I'm still waiting to see what people think we're going to be talking about today from that post. So we'll see, we'll see what people come up with. Yeah. But anyway, so what, what awesome day to start talking about sleep because I didn't sleep well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and we have a lot of things to talk about, um, about sleep. So let's start off. Let's, what did you learn about sleep interventions and sleep training in graduate school or during your supervision work? Um, did you learn anything at all? Yeah, so I was fortunate because, and I honestly can't remember if we read articles about sleep within our coursework, but I had one client that wasn't even my, like it wasn't a client I was in charge of, but at FSU we would have, we had meetings every week and we all went through clients and talked about them. So I didn't work directly with the child, but we heard about, you know, what was being, what the challenges were that were being targeted. And we would all sort of like brainstorm together ideas and things like that. So there was one child who was 
three or four and he hadn't ever slept without his mom. So the graduate student that was working on his case did a lot of research to figure out like what the best procedures would be. And then she did like a presentation for us on it. So that was really helpful. And within that, we learned about the bedtime pass. A lot of she, a lot of the things that she summarized were relating to Pat Fryman's research and um, presentations on sleep. So some of the stuff is seems kind of counterintuitive, but basically one of the things that we did that she came up with that we did for this learner and Pat Fryman talks about this is if they put him down for bed and he wasn't falling asleep within a few minutes, they would bring him out of his bedroom and like have him sit on the couch and like be awake for a little bit and then go back in the bedroom. Why do you have an idea of why that would be important to do? I would think that the the reason why it would be important for to if you're not if it, it is important for the child not to stay in the bedroom and just let him stay in there and try to get him to fall asleep is because you're training him not to fall asleep. Exactly. Yeah. So like yeah. when you first hear it, you're like, well that's odd. If you're trying to yeah. get a kid to sleep, why would you take them out of their bedroom? But you're basically if you're letting them be in there and they're not sleeping, you're building up that yeah. history of not sleeping in the bedroom. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was, you know, really cool to learn about and watch. And of course, like it, it was really exciting as a graduate student. I was a second year and she was a first year. And I didn't, again, I wasn't physically present when they put the intervention into place, but we spent not we like me, but the students yeah. spent um, basically the weekend with the family and the mom left <laughs> for the weekend <laughs> just to like take that stimulus out of the equation. Um, but before they, they did that, the graduate student had such a great idea. One of the things that, that they would do when he was falling asleep is mom would give him butterfly kisses with her eyelashes on his cheek. Yeah. So they didn't want him to not have that like soothing experience for falling asleep. So they, they took Elmo, which is a doll that he loves, and they sewed fake eyelashes onto Elmo <laughs> and for like a few weeks leading up to knowing that the intervention was going to go into place. Mom paired like instead of her doing the butterfly kisses, she had gave him Elmo and like helped him learn how to have Elmo give him butterfly kisses. So he had something to like soothe and like fall asleep with. So that was pretty cool. That's um, awesome. And it was, but what was really interesting, like we were all prepared for like, oh, you know, how are we going to help support the family? And like, if he doesn't fall asleep and whatnot and, and like troubleshooting and brainstorming like ideas for like what to do. And everyone was prepared to be up like all night. And that's part of the reason, part of the reason that mom was sent away too, is just to like not further exhaust her <laughs> if it was yeah. like, um, and dad stayed at the house or whatever. So, and it like, he came out like, he actually came out up out of his room like a couple times. And then I think he like came to the door frame a couple times. Um, but then after that first night, like he just fell asleep fine. Like there was yeah. no challenging behavior. It was like, there was nothing. And I, we don't know, obviously, because we weren't doing a research study or anything. Had mom been there, would it have been harder? Because that stimulus would have been present that he was used to. But then, you know, mom came back from the weekend and he did fine. He just fell asleep. It was like the first time mom had gotten like actual sleep in like years. So 
So um, that was a really cool thing to see as a graduate student too, just, you know, how powerful our science can be. But it was also done really well in a way that was supportive of the family's needs and what they were wanting. And that wasn't, you know, aversive or difficult for the child because we'll talk about this in some of the other questions, but I've definitely heard of situations or seen it recommended in like Facebook groups and stuff um, where people don't seem to mind putting kids through some terrorizing things at bedtime. (laughs) So, um, and that's not necessarily behavior analytic in nature, like just some of the recommendations parents make to each other about like sleep and stuff. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah. They they might not have the be- the best experiences and like the things that they read. They might have gone on Facebook and just learned from other people that don't have the best advice. Right. Me too. Yeah. And we'll and we'll definitely talk about that in a bit. I think that's one of the questions uh that we have. So Yeah. What did you but, learn in graduate school or school? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I I just how our classes were set up, I didn't have any opportunities to learn about learn about sleep um, during supervision. Um, a lot all my supervision was done while I was in the classroom. So we didn't talk about any like life skills or we didn't um, talk about um, anything that I could be dealing with inside the home. Um, also, like during school, like when I was in graduate school, um, my coursework for my master's, of course, we never talked about sleep training. And then e- even in school for my ABA coursework, we focused on the task list and we didn't talk about sleep training. Yeah. But I already had maybe, I had one client who definitely had some issues with sleep at first. Um, it went away on its own, but that I was ready to start um, Dr. Greg Hanley's sleep assessment with that family. Yeah. Um, and gearing up to learn more about um, the sleep studies that were out there that was done, what, what, what the research has uh, showed about sleep, and um, what's the best course of, I mean, what's the best interventions to put in place. Yeah. So that's my experience. And um, we'll talk more about bedtime pass. Uh, actually, let's talk about that now. So um, what do you know about the bedtime pass? You have probably a lot more background. For me, I just know that they are passes that you give to your child as they go to bed. And the pass is only good for one time every night. Yeah. Um, and they use for, they're used for a purpose, drink of water or a hug in their bed and then if they try to come back out of bed the parents will guide them back to the bedroom without any attention other additional attention or giving into any other demands the child has <laughs> so i just did a google search of the bedtime pass just because um i was curious like what's out there if you just search it because i remember even a few years ago when I did a Google search on the bedtime pass, like the only thing that came up was Pat Fryman's research. And like there, he has a, an article from 1999 um, in the journal of, I think it's pediatrics. Hold on. Um, pediatric adolescent medicine. Um, so it's, you know, a single subject design study that was published in 1999. 
And so for me, that's like the history of like, I don't, it's hard to like credit people with things, but whenever I think bedtime pass, I think Dr. Fryman, I'm sure if he presented on it, he would have an explanation of other places or like how he came up with it or whatever. But, um, on boys town, and I'll make sure to include these links in the show notes, but on boys town, which is where Dr. Fryman works. They have a nice little article like blog on the bedtime pass and like you can download and print your own bedtime pass and it tells you how to use it. But the thing I'm laughing about is there's this website of this other person and um, their name is Dr. Green. I'm trying to see who Dr. Alan Green is a practicing physician, author, national and international TEDx speaker and global health advocate. And uh, he talks about, he says, for almost 10 years now, I've suggested using a simple, easy, get out of bed free card. <laughs> and it's like, he, it almost looks like he's taking credit for creating the bedtime pass. So <laughs> I'm just laughing about it. Cause it's like, um, I mean, I, I, like in the grand scheme of things, yeah. I guess it doesn't entirely matter, but, um, but he does, but he, <laughs> it's just funny because then it goes on to say, In the April 2007 Journal of Pediatric Psychology, the author of the original study on the techniques and colleagues report a randomized control trial. Why not cite them? Like, what are you doing? Why did you not cite Dr. Fryman? So anyway, totally um, aside, but there are a few resources to, um, if you do a Google search on it, which is nice because like I said, back in the day, you could search for bedtime pass and come up with nothing. Um, So it's nice to see that there are you know, things out there. And the, the really nice thing is you described it really well, Joe, with like, you have the, the past and it has like, it's different purpose and you, the child can exchange it, um, to get that thing. The, there's a couple of other pieces to it. So if they keep the past, a lot of the times there's a backup reinforcer. So the child gets a lot of choice in the matter. Do do they want their parents' attention so much at that time that they want to exchange the bedtime pass for whatever the hug, the drink or whatever, or do they want to hang on to it and then get to pick a prize in the morning or like get a token and after they get tokens. So I honestly don't know if that's built into the full, you know, procedure because it's been a while since I read the research on it. And that's the way I had to do it with Taylor to get, to get it to work. But yes. Um, so yeah, it's not in what I'm seeing in like the quick descriptions, but for me, just giving him the card would not have been effective. <laughs> so, like it was having that choice of like, Hey, if you keep the card in the morning, you get to pick a prize because he, he would quickly exchange his card and then still keep asking us for stuff, you know, like it didn't so, matter. <laughs> so do you want to talk about that now about your history with Taylor? And- well, it'll, I think, well, it'll come up as we go. And then I, I might summarize when, cause it's a lot of different things that, that come up with having a child. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, so with him, with the bedtime pass, what I ended up doing, he was really part. And part of this is you have to understand we have a different history because yeah. I traveled so much. So like I'd be gone for a week or two at a time and then home for a week. And so when I was home, he really wanted to be around me all the time. And then the longer I was home, the more he wanted to be around me. So it's kind of like I'm a drug yeah. or something. It's like the more he gets <laughs> in me, the more he wants to have. So, um, no satiation of you. Uh, yeah, no satiation of mom ever. 
so, so that was part of the difficulty was he, obviously he needs sleep. Yeah. But he also like had just such a high MO for me. And yeah. I wasn't, if, if, again, if there was consistency, like now with COVID and we've been home since March, it'd be a lot easier to do this. But with me coming and going so much, I wasn't yeah. in a place where I was going to ride out any sort of challenging behavior and like, and, and create any more sense of like, not having mom around and whatever, you know, qualitative experience that could have for him. I don't know what impact that could have on him from like a security standpoint of, you know, my mom's here for me when I need her <laughs> yeah. and like, older, if like, especially when he's like a teenager or something and he encounters, you know, situations where he has to make tough choices. I want him to know that like, he can trust me and that like, I'm here for him. And I, I've read various, um, you know, pieces around that creating that sense of security happens from a very young age, right? And like having that trusting relationship. So for me, it wasn't worth the trade off to like, you know, give him one bedtime pass and then just put it on extinction and like not go back in there and just calmly walk him back to his room. That was one yeah. piece of it. Um, I just like that was just not for me as a parent, something I was going to do. The other piece was he didn't for he's one of those kids that like um doesn't just stay calm about that like he so if if the one night that like Blake insisted we try it he his extinction burst was like tearing up the room and like throwing stuff everywhere and I was like we talked about this in the learning behavior podcast yeah the learn behavior I'm not gonna create a whole new repertoire of challenging behavior because we're refusing to just go in this bedroom and help him fall asleep. Like that's not gonna, I'm not going to create a monster <laughs> just yeah. because we want to try to put this on extinction. Like that's not going to yeah. happen. So, and it's very well possible that like, if I had been willing to put up with that for a few nights, it would have gone away. But it's also very possible if I had been willing to put up with it for a few nights, it would have just gotten worse and worse and worse. Yeah. So I, that's just not a risk I was willing to take, especially given the other variables of like, I'm not here often enough, you know, to like, have consistency. And if his motivation to be around me is so high, I don't want to mess with that. So what we did is we, um, instead of just one pass, what I did is I made like a few for him and I was working on like fading them out. So like the first few nights we did, um, he had one for, and it was partially just kind of like a visual, but it was like, okay, here's our routine. But now if you want like one more book, here's your bedtime pass for a book. If you want one more drink, here's your bedtime pass for a drink. If you want ice, cause he likes to eat ice. Here's your bedtime pass. For ice. <laughs> and if you want like mommy to lay down with you for five minutes, here's your bedtime pass for that or whatever. So he had those and I like drew on them what they were. And if any of those were left by the like next day, I had, um, cheapy toys and like brown paper bags that he just got to like pick one. Um, yeah. and it was like a treasure box type situation. So it, but it, it, it worked really well for a time. And then we had to shift <laughs> to other things like that's yeah. been the constant. And that, I'll talk about that more when, when I talk about just how eye opening it's been to have a child, <laughs> but, um, but there's been like constant shifts in like what our sleep interventions are for him because like yeah. just looking at the different variables that are in place and like, his skill sets and like what the current function is and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah, so. yeah, that's awesome. That that's a lot more experience than I have. <laughs> it's amazing how much experience you get with it when you have a kid too. But now, um, now I do have a kid, but he's a <laughs> black fur baby. Okay, <laughs> let me tell you, I have a seventy to eighty pound Irish Wolfhound uh, doodle mix. Okay, he is not a. Uh, he is not a lightweight fella. And there are so many times, like lately, he's been pretty good. Like, so his habit is he'll go back to bed by himself. Like he'll whine and stand by our bed, uh, a bedroom door, if it's not open, to go back to bed by nine o'clock. He's done. He's ready to go back to bed. The yeah. problem is, is about three o'clock in the morning, he jumps up on our bed and then he'll, he'll either do a couple of things. He'll either sleep at the foot of my wife's side of the bed and she's a light sleeper. Um, and he'll stay there, but then about four, four o'clock, five o'clock, he'll pace the room like uh, and I know he'll first get up and shake his head. So it makes that loud um, bell noise because he has that dog collar on with the yep. metal piece. Yeah. So he'll get up, shake, and that wakes me up. I'll, I'll, I mean, in the middle of the night. Um, and then he'll get down off the bed and just pace our floor in the bedroom because it's uh laminate. I mean, it's a... Uh, yeah, laminate flooring. So we can hear his dog paw, like his, his, just his steps and he'll pace. And then he'll come to my side of the bed, take his nose and try to uh, uh, flick my arm up and down. And then he'll, and if he doesn't um, get me, cause I don't give in, I, I put his, that behavior in extinction, he'll go over to my wife's side of the bed and, uh, you know, do the same thing, put his nose underneath her arm and try to flick it. Um, and my wife just gets up out of the bed and like, come on blue. And he'll, she'll take him outside and let him go out bathroom because he needs to go bathroom. Yeah. So what we do, what we do, what we do now is like, before he goes to bed, we make sure he get, he goes outside to play tennis. I mean, like just throw the ball. And then, um, to go to the bathroom and then he'll go to bed and then we have a much better night of sleep because he's not waking us up. Yeah. But <laughs> and that's actually something I was going to talk about. Um, I can't remember what part, but like, you know, some of the things like for your sleep routine, <laughs> yeah. it's important to do it. Like depending on, I think a lot of times people don't dive in deep enough on the analysis piece of like what it's just like my, you know, this person's not sleeping and it's like, well, and then figuring out, well, is it falling asleep? Is it waking in the middle of the night? You know, like what, what, what part of not sleeping? Is it waking up too early? So that's the first piece. And it could be any one of those. Yeah. Um, it could be a combination of, but then why? <laughs> like, yeah. So like for some kids um, or adults, it is like similar to what you just described about like getting enough exercise and basically like wearing yourself out enough yeah. to be ready to go to sleep. For some 
you have the opposite problem where like I've had some families where we'd recommended like, we'll try to do some like heavy lifting and exercise before bed to see, you know, if that helps like tire them out a bit. And what that did was just ramp their kid up. Uh So if they have like skill deficits around bringing themselves back down, once they're excited, then that that could have the opposite effects of what you're looking for. It doesn't ever wear them out. It just gets them going. And Taylor, he, um, we don't, haven't done anything on purpose, but when he's overtired, he gets so much energy and I'm like, give me that. <laughs> like, why is it that I wanted to fall on the floor and pass out? And you, when you get tired are like bouncing off the walls. I don't understand. <laughs> so that's what happened to me at the beginning of COVID is in March. I would, I mean, I would have like, I would be out of school. Um, I still had to do like get up and do stuff, but I could like, you know, sleep in till about nine, ten o'clock and be fine. And then wake up and, you know, check in on my students and check in on uh, my seesaw classroom. Um, but I would go out and lift at 11 o'clock at night, <laughs> blast my heavy metal music and you know, just do a full exercise routine. And then I won't be able to, I wouldn't, wasn't able to fall asleep till about three o'clock. So yeah. exercise for me just <laughs> ramps And then you me have up. to be up at what, like six? <laughs> no, no, this is during COVID. So oh, I could yeah, sleep in, I could sleep in till like nine, 10 o'clock and still get yeah. my seven hours of sleep. Um, and it just, was just a cycle. Now I'm much better off that I'm able to, you know, go to bed about, 11 o'clock some yeah. nights it's more difficult for me just because either I drink too much caffeine too late in the day and then when I finally get home I I pick up some energy because I'm moving around I'm cooking I'm cleaning um and and then I'm like oh I want to sit down and watch a movie so I'll watch a movie <laughs> and of course you know all those, all those uh, that, I, and I still need to look at the research. I really want to see the data on this, but I know that light does play a part in keeping us awake. Yeah. And uh, it's all that extra light. And then, of course, I'm on my phone and still on my laptop doing work, and it just keeps me up at night. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I like how you were saying, like, about earlier how, um, about Taylor having difficulty sleep and it could be like a skill deficit. Um, and that's something that Hanley talked about in his um, presentation he had. But before I go into what I know about Hanley's sleep resources, what do you know? So um, it will probably say similar things. So I won't say too much since I have so many other things that I'll talk a lot on. <laughs> but yeah. I, did, I've done, I did his sleep workshop at APBA a few years ago. I think I've seen him present on sleep a few times. So I'll let you talk about the actual resources that are out there. But I really enjoyed, if you ever have the, I don't know how much he presents on it anymore, but if you ever have the yeah. opportunity to watch, and I, I think you have a resource you're going to share for that. His uh, his way of presenting on it is just hilarious because he shares <laughs> some like personal examples and whatnot. Yeah. Oh, so that's, yeah. It's entertaining and educational at the same time. So that's always nice. But it's, you know, some of the stuff that he said in that presentation, it was like, you're just sitting there like, holy cow, how have I gone, you know, 30 years of my life and not thought about these things <laughs> <as being supported laughs> around sleep and like, 
why have I tried to help families with their kids and like not thought to assess these things yet? So I'll see what you have to say. And if you don't talk about some of that, then I'll- Okay, I'll okay. That, that makes, that's fair. All right. So I am still in the process of learning more, um, but I love Greg Hanley's work on sleep and I'm really fascinated about it. And I know with the one family I that I knew there was a sleep issue, I, during parent training, we talked about this and how the things that I would do first is I would, we would do a set, a sleep assessment on their, their child. Um, But I would be using Greg Hanley's sleep assessment, which he actually has on his website, um, practical function, functional assessment. Um, And I'll link that into the show notes. So then everyone can uh, use it if they need to. Um, also that presentation about how, I mean, I don't think it's the exact same presentation that Megan saw, but there's, uh, two videos on YouTube. They're about an hour long on sleep. Uh, and it's him presenting his, uh, his workshop on sleep and it's hilarious. Like, (laughs) I, I mean, he, I mean, like, I, he how he presents is just so much fun and engaging, and so if you want to learn more about sleep and what you can do to put, I mean, to, for sleep interventions, he's definitely worth. Um, his videos are definitely worth worthwhile to watch. Um, but that's all the resources I have. Do you have anything more, Megan? I love those resources. I don't have anything to add to the resources, but one of the things within the assessment that was, like I said, just like, duh, why did I think about this? Um, What he, you know, he talks about, and I, we actually also have a webinar for Do Better that I did in November of 2018 that I'll link in the show notes where I talk about this a little bit more. But when you're going through the assessment, the questions tap into some very important things like, what we sort of were touching on earlier with the example I gave with the little boy who like wasn't falling asleep in his room. So they would take him out of his room. The importance of what your sleep routine is and like how you're falling asleep and what history you're training there. Mm -hmm. So whether it's for you as an adult, and I know we're going to talk about that towards the end, or if you're looking at a client that you're working with or your own child, um, there's been lots of families I've worked with where the family will, um, you know, just because they have to logistically get, this is how it happens and they need sleep themselves. They will have their child like might fall asleep on the couch. They might fall asleep in the parent's bed. Um, they might fall asleep with the parent in bed with them. So there's like a lot of different things that could happen around that sleep routine. And then it's, This is where like the caveat comes in of, so like Taylor, we've gone off and on with like, we are in the room and he falls asleep with us, but he generally doesn't wake up in the middle of the night and like demand one of us come back in there or something. So it's really not a problem. It helps him settle down at night and like go to sleep and get the sleep he needs. And then that's that. But if you have someone who is falling asleep under certain conditions, and then they're waking up in the middle of the night and not falling back asleep, it's because those conditions don't exist anymore, right? And they're lear- they're only learning how to fall asleep under the conditions that you have in place. So like, for example, if you have a learner who's falling asleep on the couch, 
and then you move them to their bed and they stay asleep during that move. But then at two o'clock in the morning, they wake up in their bed. There's no conditioned history of falling asleep in their bed. So why would they fall back asleep in their bed, (laughs) right? They'd have to go back Mm -hmm. out to the couch probably because that's where you're conditioning falling asleep. So, and you, you see that a lot too with like, you know, I've had plenty of relatives and friends where like their child will only sleep in a carrier or only sleep in the car seat or whatever. Mm -hmm. And for some, for some people you just get through, like that's, you do it. And it's like, everyone's (laughs) got to do it. Um, But people eventually reach a point where they're like, you know, sometimes kids just grow out of it on their own and that's great, but sometimes they don't. And then as a parent, you reach a point where you're like, okay, well, we've got to shift this, but Mm -hmm. they still keep that initial falling asleep the same and try to shift (laughs) in the middle of the night. And it's like, that's not going to be beneficial for anybody because when you wake up at 2 a.m., that's not when you're going to want to try to ride out. Like now you need to learn to fall asleep in your bed and the child's not going to want to ride it out at that time either because <laughs> that's not where they're used to falling asleep. So um, he goes, he talks about other things too, as part of that sleep routine and the training. But to me, that was just one of the biggest things where it was like, how have I never thought about that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, those are great tips. Um, but let's see here. Let's go ahead and get into, um, I noticed we, we did a Google search on this and there's another, um, doctor out there, Mark Durand, who, um, has a book about sleeping better. Mm -hmm. Um, what do you know about that? So this was a book that was actually recommended. I think, um, the, the, student at the time that created that training. She also pulled from his work as well, Dr. Duran's. Um, so, and I don't remember if she used his book or just like research articles he had published, but at the time, even back in like 2006, I think was when we were going through this. Uh, that was one of the things that like our professors recommended we read. And I, I think I even like bought the book, but I never read it. Um, and then for this podcast, we looked up, we were like looking it up because you were asking me about it. And I'm like looking through the table of contents and I'm like, well, I should have read this just as a parent <laughs> because like a lot of the things we've encountered with Taylor are discussed in here and they might have yeah. been helpful. So I am going to just run through so that our listeners, you know, have an idea whether it's, you know, clients that you're thinking about or your own children or potential, you know, down the road, having children in your home. So um, the beginning just, you know, talks about the different sleep problems that could exist. And then it goes into different uh, ways to assess sleep problems and gives a lot of information. But it's really nice because there's like a similar, I think, to Hanley's assessment, but there's a whole sleep interview with different questions about different things. So like, sleep habits, which is a lot of what Hanley stuff focuses on. But then it also talks about things like sleep terrors and limb movement and bedwetting and tooth grinding and all sorts of different like re- like various aspects of like inner things that can interfere with your sleep. So yeah. that's nice. And then it has a section on different obstacles to successful treatment. So like, for example, it talks about in this situation, others are judging me negatively as a parent. So like different interfering thoughts you might have about the sleep problem, which I think as a parent is like really important, especially if you're a behavior analyst, because let me tell you, (laughs) there's a whole lot of that that comes up where you're like, I'm a behavior analyst, I should be able to figure this out, you know. Um, 
Then there's the different strategies for change. So it has, it goes through for each of the different areas that could potentially be causing the sleep disturbances. It has a chapter on that. So it talks about, you know, creating good sleep habits, just help for general bedtime problems. So things like the bedtime pass and stuff like that, um, sleeping through the night. So different aspects of like why you would wake during the night and how to address that sleeping at the wrong times, which um, that's actually been one of the easiest things for me to fix when I can get the parents on board. Like if you have a learner, I've had times where like a learner might might not fall asleep until like midnight, wakes up at like 2 a.m. Then they go back to sleep at like 4 a.m. And then they wake up at 6 a.m. And they're basically getting the same amount of sleep, like eight to 10 hours that they should for their age, but they're doing it in these like two to three hour increments. So um so working on that, if you can get everyone on the same page of like, this is the time <laughs> of like, yeah. sleep. and then if they try to sleep during the wake time, you just keep them going and you don't let them, um, has been pretty easy. But the trick is like getting, you know, the cause it's exhausting for the parent for the first yeah. few weeks to like go through that. But anyway, um, what I really liked is there's a whole section on nightmares, sleep terrors, and other related problems, which is something I'll talk about with, um, Taylor, I'd be interested. This is like one of the most intriguing chapters for me that I, even though I'm not dealing with that anymore, I kind of want to buy the book just to read, read about it. Um, it talks about excessive sleepiness and then other nighttime difficulties such as um, bedwetting, problems with anxiety, um, depression, headaches, things like that. And then yeah. it even goes into daytime behavior problems. So even though the book's about sleep, I guess you, he's, he is, he has a bunch of different, um, resources and other like parenting books. So I guess mm. he decided to throw that in there too. Um, <laughs> at the end, it has a, a few ch more chapters. One of them is on sleep and medication. So I think as a behavior analyst, even if you're not dealing with sleep right now, a lot of the times you'll encounter clients where the parents might tell you they're on like different medicines relating to sleep or maybe even you yourself need different medicines for sleep. So it mm -hmm. runs the gamut. It has barbiturates, benzo, um, benzos, antihistamines, other sleep-inducing meds like Ambien, Lunesta, melatonin, antidepressants, so promoting mm -hmm. wakefulness. So like all of the things are discussed. Yeah. I think that would be a really interesting chapter too. And then it, it talks... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that, that that is really... That would be really interesting to see. I know Hanley, like his, like when he does his sleep assessment, then his interventions, uh, he talks about um, one of the first things he'll do is like try to get rid of like any sleep meds. Yep. But I, I would also recommend like, you know, if you have trouble sleeping yourself, I would always recommend um, seeking out uh, additional help with a medical professional just to rule out any underlying causes. Yeah. Like sometimes uh, people have, um, what's the breathing thing? Why can't I so, think of it? So this is me. Okay. So when I was heavier at like 280 pounds, um, I noticed that I was really tired throughout the whole day, like the whole day. Um, my sleep suffered. I was always tired first thing in the morning. My throat was dry uh, and sore. I knew that I felt like I had a headache. So I went to my doctor and I did a sleep study and it found out that I have sleep apnea. Now, depending on who you talk to, um, 
some people will believe that sleep apnea is just a made up thing. Some people that there's tons of, I mean, there was some people believe it's an actual uh, diagnosis that's important to, um, to have a handle on. Um, I always resort to, uh, working with your doctor to decide on the best course of treatment because they're the professionals. Um, but if it's just a skill deficit, then there's, I mean, research, I mean, research is different strategies that you can implement with sleep. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I think like that it's helpful to, understand like I don't know that much about sleep apnea myself and Mm -hmm. I have you know that's been brought up a few times with like different clients I've worked with and whatnot so not just knowing like if that's something that your learner but how it affects you like what you're saying like you were so tired and whatnot like if your client's not getting enough sleep for that reason or any other reason you're going to need to account for that in your intervention each day <laughs> like yeah. make sure you're adjusting your expectations accordingly because you're going to have a lot more challenges you face if you're trying to push someone through something that doesn't have enough sleep happening for them yeah especially um, sleep apnea just because like even to get used to the mask like and this is the thing i struggle with was like the mask was so it, it didn't allow me to to be very i mean i wasn't comfortable um it was uh, hard for me to keep the mask on all night and i would wake up in middle night and only have like two hours or three hours of sleep and then i would just rip it off and like i'm done with this yeah and toss it off um now the best thing that i did for myself is i lost weight because there was so much weight in my neck because my neck is so big yeah. So that so that worked for me. But yeah, that's always yeah. It it always reserved to a medical professional. Yes, for that. definitely. Um so you know, you can read up on these things and like learn about, but this is definitely an area like if it's something simple, like I was talking about, you know, the two examples I gave were like the one kid, like the mom was just letting him sleep whenever. Yeah. <laughs> so like we just, you know, put down some expectations, like this is sleep time and this is wake time. Yeah. And then like two days, everything was fixed or the, the kid that would only fall asleep and stay asleep with mom in the room, like those types of things, pretty clear, yeah. you know, what's yeah. happening. But if there's, um, you know, like various medical things that are happening or, or there's a lot going on with the sleep or there's not like obvious explanations, definitely working with a doctor and figuring out what the various medical pieces of it could be is really important. So the last part of this book, and then we'll move on to the next thing that the last chapter is preventing sleep problems. And I think this is again, one where I'm like, dang, I should have read this <laughs> because it talks about, and I'm going to talk about this with Taylor too at the end, but developmental changes in sleep. So it talks about infant personality in sleep and then prevention strategies. So like establishing good sleep habits from birth um, and then looking at feeding nighttime feedings. But that's a whole area that's kind of, I think, controversial because it talks about it three months, which I don't, I'd have to read it. But if, if they're really working on feeding nighttime feedings at three months, I, I wouldn't be comfortable with that. Um, but that's a, a whole separate topic. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, and then there's a lot of like resources at different appendix and, um, like things to use to get more information about sleep or like track sleep and all that kind of stuff. So it's definitely a very thorough book and I think we'll obviously put it in the show notes, but I think yeah. 
it would be if you haven't read it and if you're again encountering clients where that's something that's happening or like there's sleep things that need to be targeted or you're a parent or just an adult who needs to learn more about sleep and the different aspects of sleeping better just like the name says yeah (laughs) (laughs) sleep better would be a great book to buy yeah um and then my i mean i haven't read this book but i know um people have had great reviews on this book is uh sleep smarter 21 essential strategies to sleep your way to a better body better health and bigger success uh by sean stevenson and there was a forward by Sarah Goffried, um, MD. Uh, but this, um, I, I listened to Sean Stevenson on his podcast, um, um, the model health show. Um, this is the one podcast that I absolutely love li- listening to just for enjoyment. And I get a lot of value out of it because there, he talks about, um, different health, strategies that you can implement and i just i just i just love his energy during his podcast too um he has a great presence and he has a great way of presenting on his podcast so um if you haven't followed him and you like listening about health definitely a podcast to listen to but i would also suggest reading this book because he goes over like 21 like 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 the title says, even twenty one different strategies to help you help you to sleep your way to better health. So I'll put that in the show notes as well. Um, yeah, that I looked at the book in Amazon, and the cover looks pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I love I love the cover. It's very it's very sleek and um, great. But he even went over like different items in his on his podcast about sleep it it's a topic that he brings up uh pretty frequent frequently on his uh podcast but it's also like some of the strategies are pretty simple which we'll talk about later in the show later in the show about sleep and how to you know set up your night before you go to bed yeah so yeah all right but um so the next thing i want to talk about is about color alarms. Yes. I don't have any kids, so color alarms are, have been is something newer to me, but I know that they obviously they they emit different colors. <laughs> but can you tell me more about what a color alarm does and you know why it would be a good idea to use it or not use it? Yeah, so there's tons of different options. And I actually, I just did another search from like the last time that I looked and I am finding new ones that didn't exist, but this was another thing that we had to use with Taylor and um, we've had to shift it a few times, but same as some of the other stuff, like, and if we don't, if we just had the lights in place, it wouldn't necessarily be effective. I had to tie reinforcers to this, mm-hmm. but the idea is you have there's a different options, but there's different colored lights. So like when the light is red, that means it's time to be in bed. So you're just developing stimulus control and an easier way for like a, lo- a little one who doesn't know how to tell time yet. Red means it's bedtime and green means you can wake up. 
but there's also, um, and that's what we have right now. I'm, I'm going to put it in the show notes. It's like a dog and there's a lot of different options with it, but it only is red or green. So sometimes Taylor will wake up. Like our ideal would be that he gets up at seven, but he'll wake mm-hmm. up at six and it's becoming more and more consistent that he wakes up between like six and six thirty. But I don't, it's not for me, it's not worth having a fight at that time over like, no, you have to stay in bed. <laughs> like, and then I yeah. have to get up and like, he's crying and it's like close yeah. enough to seven, but it's not like he was waking up sometimes at like three or four in the morning and like, didn't understand it was not time to get up yet. Obviously at that time, I want to be able to point to the red and be like, no, it's not time to get up yet. You know, or the bigger issue was he wouldn't fall asleep at night. Yeah. Um, So, you know, being like, oh, your dog's red, it's time to go to sleep was easier, you know, but for the wake up piece, like it's, I'm not going to have, I don't want to have a fight with him over an hour difference, you know? So there are other ones that have different colors. Um, So like, I just found one that did not exist when I looked or, you know, didn't show up when I looked before. That's a stoplight. So there's a red, a yellow and a green. And I'm assuming you can set that yellow. So like the yellow might be, you can get out of bed, but you can look at books and it's not time to play yet, you know? Um, yeah. and then the green means, okay, now you can be up for the day. And they have ones with like all sorts of different colors and stuff. And the one that a lot of people really liked, but I just wasn't going to spend this much money. But although now at this point, I probably have on the different ones I bought is called the hatch and you get it when you have a baby and it's a like light. Um, that makes different noise. Like, you know, it has like, we have always had like a sound machine for Taylor too. And mm-hmm. it has that built in. There's an app. So like the parent can control it from their phone and set the different sounds and like light colors and all that kind of stuff. So when I had posted about using the the dog light for Taylor, um, a lot of people were like, oh, but Hatch is like so much better, but it was like 90 bucks. And I was like, I'm not, we don't, we don't need all those things anymore. I just need the light. So, <laughs> so, um, so I didn't buy it, but I think if you're like, again, you know, have a, a young baby or, um, you know, don't have a sound machine yet or whatever, that might be worth investing into. And that's one of the things that Dr. Hanley did say that it's like having a sound machine too. Yeah. Like, and I, I and I don't have kids yet, but when I go to my, best friend from college uh, my best friend I visit him and his wife and his kids um every time it's time for them to go to bed they'll put on a sound machine I was like what is this I would stay up you know but it works like yeah and it also allows them to almost train uh the kids to fall asleep whenever wherever um no matter what the noise level is yep which is nice too, because like I, n- I never thought about that. Like you know, tr- if you have a completely quiet house, they're only going to be able to sleep during um, a, during a quiet house. Like it has to be completely quiet, and yeah. that's not realistic. I mean, you, you need. I mean, when they go to bed, they need to be able to. You need to do wash the laundry. You need to run the vacuum. So, um, that's something that I have learned, uh, recently, which is really cool. And actually, Megan, I just look, that hatch is now $60. There's two different ones. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it looks like I haven't looked at it in enough detail, but there's one that's $60 that says it has a nightlight and time to rise and a sound machine. And then this $90 one has 
the sound machine, the nightlight, the time to rise, the white noise soother, the toddler sleep trainer, the uh-huh. kid's alarm clock, and it's a nightlight. <laughs> so it has wow. a lot of other things involved in it. Um, yeah. But I'll, I'll put both in the show notes in case people are interested. Um, this is one I would definitely love to hear more about if people have used them. But I think like this one is for me as a, a behavior analyst, like I love that this exists because I definitely had clients in the past where that was like, that is like a, just a critical, not critical, a, it's like a rite of passage. Like they're at some point in a child's life, they will wait. Well, I shouldn't say every child, but almost every child will be waking up too early in the morning, <laughs> whether they're two years old, three years old, six years old, whatever it is. Um, like my, my niece doesn't do that. Like she goes to bed really late, but then she sleeps in until like nine or 10. Um, but like most every other like child that I've ever known, like they've gone through a phase where they wake up too early. And of course, sometimes again, when it's that early in the morning as a parent, sometimes you're just like, just whatever, (laughs) I just do whatever. I'm not dealing with this right now. So then obviously that creates more problems because the kid learns like, Oh, I can just wake up at this time and play. And of course playing is more fun than staying in bed and trying to fall back asleep. Right. So yeah. obviously like we never did that with Taylor cause I, I know enough to not do that, but a lot of parents wouldn't necessarily, they might think like it's just a phase and it'll go away. Um, and then all of a sudden they have a kid who just wakes up at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> um, so like what I wouldn't have given, you know, 10 years ago when I had a ton of clients at that age where like we were trying to, it was like, well, just make a red sign and then like, you know, flip it over to green when it's time, when it's okay for them to wake up and stuff like that. And it's like to have the technology now where like, you don't have to do that. I mean, developing that stimulus control and the earlier you can do it, the better, like you were saying with the sound machine, I don't know of research on this, but just thinking about it from a practical perspective, like conditioning those things from infancy, even the light, you know, like even conditioning the light of like, when you put the baby down to sleep, it's red. And when you pick the baby back up, it's green. And there's like having exposure to that. That's going to be so much easier than trying to teach a two-year-old who wants to be in control of all of the things all of the time, (laughs) (laughs) like what the red and the green mean. So, um, I, I didn't even think to like, look for that stuff when Taylor was a baby, but like looking back on it, I'm like, man, we definitely had the sound machine. We even had one we traveled with because yeah. that was so important. Like he fell asleep so much better having, we never did the white noise. He wasn't a fan of that, but like it just had, you know, like little lullabies that it played and he loved that thing. Nice. Yeah. I mean, this is all good information for me in the future because <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure at some point I'm going to be using this. Uh, so I will definitely be putting the hatch thing on. Uh, on a baby list, maybe. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... Hey, you know, on Amazon, you can start a list and like not show anyone yet and yes. have it going. I have one for Taylor, like when he's wanting different toys and stuff, but it's just like, yeah. and I just add stuff to it. But he thinks we're buying it at that point. And he's like, when's my thing coming? And I'm like, no, no, a <laughs> 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 <The> list. <laughs> you got him trained with Amazon. <laughs> oh yeah. He totally understands all the Amazon things. That's um, crazy. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So anything else to talk about with the color alarms? No, I, I'm, that's awesome. Like just uh, to talk about that. And now I know a lot better about color alarms. Like I didn't know that was a, a thing until I started researching this. And then I, re- I realized that, Oh, this is really a thing. And this is really important to have. Yeah. I, one thing I just thought of with it and I, I don't know why I haven't mentioned this yet. Um, 
I think it's because I'm looking at this one that's a train and it has like the green, yellow, red in my Amazon cart that I'm about to buy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) If anybody doesn't know, I'm a multitasker. So, but I'm just looking at it. I just have to like tell you just looking at it and not if I didn't know what it was for, this also could be used in sessions, not even around sleep. I wouldn't do both. Like if you have a client who's using the train red, green, yellow light for sleep, don't also use it in your sessions, but yeah, use something. You could use something similar. If you're trying to teach a learner, like how long they have for an activity, you could set the times on there. Um, and of course, a lot of the kids I work with love trains and cars. And that's like, there's different ones. There was one with an owl and there's like different figures. Um, but this one that could be used outside of sleep, even it can just be used as a general like timer type thing to help your learner with transitions and stuff too. Like I've had to do that in the past as well. Same thing. Well, this is available. It's green. It's not available. It's red. And it's just like hand make different cards and try to develop stimulus control over it. When in reality, you could just use this like timer thing. That That's has. cool. And it's cheaper than like some of the time timers and stuff like that. So that's cool. I like that. Just thought of that. Not related to sleep. That's okay. But hey, <laughs> we're all about, you know, doing better. So that could be used for session. And that's awesome. That's a great idea. So, but no, uh, so, so we talked about colors. I mean, uh, like the color alarms, we talked about different um, things that we could read. Now, what happens about, I mean, what happens if you're a parent and you just, you're, you had it, you need some help. (laughs) So, um, and let's just say that you have a child, but they're not on the spectrum. So, um, insurance wouldn't cover, uh, BCBA necessarily. So what do you know about sleep consultants? Yeah. So I honestly didn't even know that was a thing. I should have guessed like pretty much any parenting problem that exists, like toilet training, (laughs) um, just general behavior. There are people out there who are not BCBAs that, you know, are usually parents themselves and have dealt with various things and then just like dove in on learning more about that. And then, um, so like even not entirely related, but like for women, like there's, lactation consultants that help you learn how to breastfeed, which you would think is just like a natural thing that happens, but it's not, (laughs) which is also what I thought sleep would be like, Oh, it's not, you know, the kids maybe sleep and you just, that's what, like, I always had this assumption that like the clients that I worked with or parents, just friends, like who had kids that didn't sleep well, like they just must've been like feeding into things and just not setting good habits from the beginning. And like, that's so far from the truth. We'll talk about that too. Um, but anyway, so there's all these people out there. So I think like if you're a behavior analyst and like this is an area of interest for you, obviously, you know, take what you know from the science, but I would highly recommend looking more into what already exists from like the sleep consultant perspective and doing that as like an additional training and certification. It may not necessarily be entirely new information, but it as our field is, we don't know all of the things all of the time. Right. So like, especially just from like the, it's going to sound a little bit non, well, it is non-scientific, but crowdsourcing the various problems that parents face and just having an understanding of how to, um, connect with and like collaborate with and coach a parent on something is what I would think people who, 
decide to like do additional work and sleep and become a sleep consultant, those are the types of skills you're going to be learning more about and like how to be more realistic and more flexible and just like pull from a lot of different ideas instead of just like, well, I know about the bedtime pass. (laughs) You know, it's not just like a one size fits all type thing. So um, I had a friend recently who posted because she is a BCBA and they were having some difficulty with her daughter sleeping the way that they wanted and recognizing like her own, like, you know, conflict of like, I'm mom and a BCBA and just, you know, just because we're BCBAs doesn't mean we know all the things about sleep. Like we've talked about, right. So instead of trying to like figure it out and problem solve it on her own, she connected with a sleep consultant and she posted. um, So I have this, this person as an example, but I think if you Googled sleep consultant, you'd probably come up with a bunch of different ones. So this person her website is belly2bean.com. And the only reason I'm specifically identifying her is because a friend who is a BCBA was raving about how great she is. So I'm obviously like, you know, I, if I'm going to pick one, I'm going to yeah. pick one I've heard something about. <laughs> um, yeah. So we'll include her information in the show notes. But um, basically her like website, um, it just talks about, it's just her her name is Nicole Elizondo and she is actually in British Columbia or they don't know where she lives now, but she talks about being from British Columbia and she's, um, she was certified to, but in 2012 by the international maternity Institute. So there, I think in that book that we were talking about earlier, sleep better, they talk about different, yeah. Um, accrediting companies or whatever. So I don't know much about the International Maternity Institute, but there are different um, entities and she has like listed under her title that she is a certified sleep consultant. So, um, so that is, you know, something you could actually get certified in. And I just, I read one of her blogs that my friend had posted and it's all really helpful information and, and very holistic and really taking into account like the whole family and the, the child and things like that. So um, I'm not going to talk about like a, a beyond this, but it just, I just wanted to point out that like, again, this is an area where I think sometimes as behavior analysts, we look at trying to know all of the things just as a behavior analyst and try to like, Hey world, why don't you see us? We're here and we can help you with sleep too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as opposed to recognizing like, Hey, stuff already exists. There are already certified sleep consultants out there, or there are already doulas out there. There are already lactation consultants out there. In addition to my BCBA, I am going to go step into that field and get certified in that thing. And then I can disseminate the science and also be part of this entity that already exists. Um, I think we're going to see more success there than trying to like recreate the wheel and all of these things. And just like, be upset that people don't know that our science exists. Yeah. 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 That's a great um, point too. It's like, you know, we're, yes, we're a BCBA, but we don't know everything in detail. And there are people that know specific things that we should be looking to them for, for knowledge and to learn more from them. So, yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to make sure people knew that that was a thing. Now that doesn't mean like, don't read the books and resources that we recommended and develop your skill set in this area. But yeah. I think it's helpful to also see that there are people out there. Um, and especially too, like that you might run into a situation like Joe was talking about where 
maybe somebody's insurance doesn't cover this or like even maybe you tried to put in your insurance treatment plan something about sleep and for some reason it got denied then and you so for whatever reason your hands are tied and you can't help a family or you don't have the expertise there are resources uh, that you could potentially connect them with that would help them too. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's not to say like this specific person doesn't necessarily say that she works with like autism or anything. So that's something to take into account as well. Some people, um, the broad interventions that, that, that exist for sleep and like typical parenting may not always apply perfectly with some of the the challenges that parents might face otherwise that are receiving services for autism or a different developmental disability. That's awesome. And um, yeah, so with that being said, um, there are sleep consultants and everything, but I know I have, I have heard from just friends and family members that, you know, we don't, you don't need to get a sleep consultant. You don't need to, you know, you need, you don't need to worry about sleep when they're a toddler. You just need to let them cry out and, you know, just fall asleep and not go and not go in and attend to that. What's your thoughts on crying it out? Yeah. I feel like we talked about this on another podcast too. It might've been the learned behavior one, but that's one that, um, where it really starts to come in. There's so many misconceptions, I think. And like this, this is like a whole separate podcast episode we could do that. I don't even know if I've told you about, but a lot of what I've seen with cry it out has been written by men. I'm just going to say that. And I'm not trying to be like sexist or something, but there is a different experience (laughs) as a woman who had a child inside of them. Um, And even maybe like, even I would guess like for, from like adopting a child or even if it's not your child, like there's just sometimes differences in how I think for whatever reason I would see something than how like my husband would see something, whether we adopted or like, you know, biologically have Taylor. Um, but definitely from biologically having him, like there is a difference for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so, you know, when, it, when, before I had Taylor and I had friends post online or, or I would talk to behavior analyst friends about babies and sleep and stuff, everyone was just so hard line on like, Oh, just, they just have to cry it out. They just have to learn. You're not coming in and they'll fall asleep or, and and beyond that, beyond even with sleep, just anything, any issue that a, a little one faces. And it and I'm not going to restate the whole learned behavior episode. I'll put that in the show notes too. But basically, there's two big issues for me. One, a lot of people try to do it way too early. Like I've I've seen things where like people are trying to do cry it out at like a month, two months. You know, that's too young. Like they're still they're they've barely even been in the world yet and they they're relying on you for like sleep and comfort and like or food <laughs> um and to try to just be like nope you're going to learn to sleep through this um is not biologically beneficial either um but even as they get older there's for me personally especially there's like just that I want Taylor, I wanted Taylor to know, like, I would be there for him, right? So mm-hmm. he's crying about something, like, we'll work through it. Now, there's a difference between, like, he legitimately needed something, and I came in and, like, helped him with that, 
versus him then starting to use that as like a a tactic (laughs) for drawing out, like going to sleep and all of that kind of stuff. So like, there's a constant analysis that has to be done. And that's why I was talking about like, we've had so many different um, interventions in place, like depending on what the current variables are that are keeping him awake or interrupting like the sleep routine. So I have to like shift and adjust what we're doing. But yeah. one of the the things with cry it out that I've also noticed is I had Taylor around the same time as some of my other friends had kids too. And children are born sleeping differently. <laughs> like what I mentioned before about parents and like, I used to think it's like, oh, they must have just not developed good habits from birth or something. Um, but no, there, there's just different things that happen from birth. <laughs> with yeah. sleep. Like, it's not just this natural thing that like babies will just sleep, right? They might yeah. have colic. There might be other things going on. They might just have a crap ton of energy for whatever reason. Yeah. They have even as like a newborn, they have fear of missing out and like don't ever want to sleep because they're just yeah. taking in this amazing world that's around them. Um, so I I think that it's interesting how like this one blanket thing, like just cry it out, is they try to apply that to like any child. And it's like that's different children have what for what you know, different preferences and different reinforcers. So like my one friend tried her hardest with her little one and she she cried I think she managed to somehow I think it was like two hours she tried um to like let her cry it out and eventually fall asleep I would not have lasted that long I would have lasted like 10 minutes and you know her daughter did not um did not ever fall asleep and it was like she could have done that for days and the kid would have just kept crying right so it's like at what point you know is it worth all of that um just to sleep you know So I think it's really important for people to recognize, especially when you're working with families, even if they have a four or five-year-old or seven-year-old or whatever, different, different things. If a family says something to you like, oh, well, they still sleep in my bed or I sleep in their bed or whatever. And they don't express that as like, and this has to change right now, like as like a major goal that they want to work on, just leave it be. Cause it can be like when you're coming in as an outsider and you're working with a family and they mention something like that, especially if you don't have kids people's ears will perk up and be like, Oh, that's got to change. Right. Like that, that's not okay. A seven-year-old cannot be sleeping in their parents' bed, but people often do what they can to get by and like, you know, whatever works best for them sleep wise. So if the family isn't expressing that as like an issue, don't try to tackle it because it's not going to be successful. Um, if they're not ready to to address it anyway, but if, if it's working for them, it's working for them. And a lot of this stuff, like you'll, it, Joe, if you dive in on like reading different people's um, from various backgrounds and like different parenting style type yeah. blogs and stuff like that, like a lot of the sleep that we try to enforce for little ones, especially from like birth to five, other cultures don't do those things. It's a very like Western and especially like American way of like, like most, a lot of cultures, like families are sleeping together in one big bed for a long time. Right. Like they don't have, sometimes it's, they don't have the luxury of having multiple bedrooms, but a lot of the times it's like, um, that's just a thing that hasn't shifted. And when you, when you think all the way back to like, you know, prehistoric times, like that would have made sense. You want everyone in one space because if a lion's coming to attack, you'll want to get up and go quickly or whatever, you know? So, um, so there is like an evolutionary benefit as well, but 
a lot of the things that like have come to be over time in our culture aren't necessarily um, when you look at it from like a biological and physiological standpoint, what's most beneficial for the baby. It's what the the adults <laughs> have maybe yeah. decided they want for their life. No judgment, right? Like if, yeah. if, a, if a family is doing, you know, cry it out and that's working for them, I'm not going to judge them for that. But like, same goes, like if I'm not going to do cry it out or I'm not going to use extinction during sleep um, interventions, don't judge me either. Like yeah. I'm letting my kids sleep in my bed with me and they're five. Don't judge. Right. Like you, each family has to kind of work out their own solutions around it. And then when they say, okay, this is a problem, <laughs> yeah. I don't want this to happen anymore. All of the resources we've talked about so far, those are the types of things that could be applied um, to help them. Yeah. Good. Good. Um, so we went over a lot of how we can, how you can assess a, uh, a learner with sleep issues, um, what different um, interventions are out there. Um, what about adults? What can we do to sleep better? I know, right? Before yeah. we do that, I just, sorry, I forgot about one thing I wanted to mention with the cry it out and okay. before we move on. It's not entirely related to cry it out, but we kind of talked about it with the sleep better book. Yeah. If you don't have children yet and whether you're planning on having them or not, look into the typical phases of sleep <laughs> that happen for learners. Um, like, especially if you're working in like the EI population, because yeah. I cannot even believe like the things that Taylor went through from like a sleep perspective. So like he was actually a really good sleeper um, early on. And then like he had the, there's like a four month sleep regression where he was up like every 30 minutes. And I was like, what, you know, so he, he was waking up every 30 minutes and I'm like, what the heck's going on here? And then yeah. you look it up and it's like, Oh, there's a four month sleep regression. Same thing happened. I think at like nine months. And then there's another one at like a year. So there's like these different sleep regressions that are well-documented in developmental yeah. research that happened. Then when he was like, then you get through the whole, like when they become a toddler, they're just like fighting, going to bed. So that's yeah. when bedtime pass came in and the lights and all that kind of stuff. Um, again, we didn't have too much of an issue with him waking up in like um, too early in the morning and wanting to be up. Um, yeah. But we did have to deal with that a little bit. But the middle of the night waking killed me. Like I, yeah. I was fine with the um, the like sleep regressions because I could just plop him next to me and put a bottle in his mouth and like he we just that's how we managed for a bit. But his middle of the night waking was a whole separate thing where it was like he would wake up and it, I don't know if it was night terrors or what, but he was yeah. screaming bloody murder inconsolable, like horrific. And that happened around like the age of two and a half or three. And it lasted for weeks and it did not matter what I did. And that was the most frustrating thing. Cause usually what would happen for me and like addressing his sleep interventions was something would happen one night. I would like fumble through and like, just get us back to sleep, reinforce the crap yeah. out of it. <laughs> like I didn't care. We were going to go to sleep. And then the next day I would reflect on, okay, what happened last night? Why did he wake up? How can I make sure this doesn't happen again? And I put a plan into place. But with this like middle of the night waking, screaming bloody murder, it did not matter like what I would do like at all. He, it was, and it would last yeah. 45 minutes or longer 
of just like screaming his head off. Um, And that's just painful as like my mom, like his mom, when I looked it up, typical thing, that is a thing (laughs) that happens. Like not to every child, but it is a phase that like kids go through and it, they don't entirely know why it's possible. Like that's when like dreams start being like more of a thing. So maybe like, like recognizing like if there was like a nightmare or something, but it just like, but he didn't seem awake. Like, cause like I could like clap loudly in his face. Cause I would try to like clap to like, see if that would break him out of it. I, I even tried, and I hate to admit this, but I even tried screaming, not at him, but just like very loud, like, what? <laughs> like, what is happening? You know, and like, it did not matter what we did or said. Like, he just screamed wow. for like 45 minutes. Um, thankfully, it went away on its own. But I think like, that's also the phase where like some learners may end up having like ongoing night terror issues and things like that. And I, that's where I was saying in the, the Sleep Better book, I need to get that just to read. Um, what Dr. Duran has to say about like limb movement and like night terrors and all that kind of stuff. Cause I did read stuff online at the time and like found what I could. And all of it really just said like, you just kind of have to ride it out. (laughs) (laughs) This is just a thing. But if you don't know that those are that like learners go through, and especially if you're working with like the birth to three population, you could be trying to like develop interventions for these things. When in reality, it's more, it'd be more comforting to tell the parents like, Hey, this sucks. <laughs> I know like, but it, it'll go away. And that was essentially what happened for me. I posted about it on a few behavior analysts, like Facebook groups, like, has anyone else had a kid that's like three and does this? Um, and almost every mom or dad was like, Oh yeah, that's a thing that happens. <laughs> like, well, it sure. Would have been nice to know, like, where's my, yeah. Know, where's so. the parenting like handbook? Like where, where's, you know, that in the instruction manual. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So I do that. I did want to touch on that just relating to the cry it out, like make sure whether you're having a kid or helping people that have young ones that you're like really learning about like the typical like phases of like sleep stuff that just happens too. Yeah. I, I had a spell of like sleep paralysis too for a while and that was not fun. No, that does not sound fun. No, that's when, uh, you start, you like start falling. I don't know like the exact definition, but here's my experience is like you start, you fall, start falling asleep and then you get in this light sleep where you feel, you, you know, that you're like asleep, but you feel like you're awake and then you hear a noise and you think that's something like for me, like I felt like something's in my house yeah, and someone's in my house <laughs> and I tried to wake up. By and get out of bed, but I can't. And I just lay there hearing this noise and I can't get up. Like I can't move any bit of my body or anything. It's scary. And then, and you know what's funny is like I thought I awake because I thought I could see, but all it is is like me having a vivid image of my bedroom and knowing what it's look, looking like. And then when I finally do open my eyes, I'm like, oh, I was just in this state. It was so, it's so weird. And it's so creepy sometimes. Wow. Uh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I know there's people that can talk about it a lot better than I can. Um, I think actually um, there, there was an episode on why we do what we do on sleep paralysis too. Yeah. Or sleep issues. But if you want to check that out, go ahead to over to their podcast and check that episode out. It was, it, it's just, 
it, I, I, I mean, for me, it's just, it was awful. It was like, a, it was so wild. Yeah. But that's, that's also the, like, can you think about like if a learner, whether they're like an adult like you, or if that happened at, is like a younger child who doesn't yet have communication and like that's happening yeah. to you and you can't tell anyone about it. Oh my God. I would be like, so like, I, I basically, I can imagine them like not wanting to sleep. Yeah. Like they would be so afraid of going to sleep. That's, that's awful. And, and, um, that's why like, it's important to like, we talk about this and it just makes me more and more want to learn more, not only get more, but be certified too, just so then I know this information, even if I don't ever use it, just to have it um, in my school set, just because I, I might come into contact with it and I want to be able to, you know, help or even for us to have our, I mean, when we do have our own kids, just being able to use it with my own kids. Yeah. Just because there's a lot of information and a lot of things to learn. <laughs> so much. <laughs> but it, what's interesting to me is like how much there is to learn. But a lot of the times we come out of grad school, like I know all the things. <laughs> I know all the things. I passed the task list. And, um, uh, and then, <laughs> and Megan, whenever the, the, BACB would submit the results a month after completing the, the assessment and you f you feel like you're walking in that and um like I felt like I was walking down that big hallway in Star Wars and like in that in that movie of Star Wars where Luke Skywalker and his friends would go down the hall hallway and receive their medals I felt like that and you would hear the music in the <laughs> background I felt I felt like that but um in reality there's so much more that you need for to be um to be a BSBA and make a huge difference in this field. Yeah. So all right, back to the adult sleep. Yeah, Sorry. back to those. You know, <laughs> no, that was no, that's good. Um, that's a good topic to talk about because it, like with that, that I would totally freak out. I would not know what to do. Yeah. So um, so but yeah. I think you have more to say about this. My quick thing is, um, I honestly don't usually have problems sleeping. I might like when I had Taylor, um, that's just, you know, being a parent's like a whole separate issue around. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, yeah, especially like if I would like wake up to feed him and then like trying to fall back asleep is like really hard for me, but I've grown that repertoire and it, it's really funny. I used to joke because like, um, during the week, I would get up with Taylor. And then on the weekends, that was like my break because I wouldn't fall asleep um, when I was getting up with him. So uh, Blake would have to get up with him so that I could get at least a little additional sleep on the weekends. But over time, um, I've definitely learned how to fall back asleep. Because <laughs> it's just like critical skill yeah. to develop. Uh, and my biggest like thing is, and I, but I, I don't have to have it, but I definitely fall asleep better if I have like a TV or something playing like a boring, not boring, but like a show that like, I'm not going to get sucked into like, so for whatever reason, like the different law and orders, um, right now it suits, uh, so like kind of, I don't know, there's just like those like drama, but like, they're not so like interesting that you're like, I have to know what happens next. You know, you don't um, have to pay attention for the, 
whole gist of the show. Like, yeah, and well, and I just go back yeah. to like where I remember falling asleep, and it's usually like five minutes. Like I take so yeah. it takes me like <laughs> weeks to get through an episode. Um, but that like is my thing. But if I'm somewhere where I can't do that for some reason, I still usually fall asleep fine without it. Um, and it doesn't like if I wake up in the middle of the night and like need to fall back asleep, I don't rely on it. So I think that's a an important piece, like when we're talking about looking at Hanley's assessment and stuff like that, like some of the things that could come up as issues, you have to really make sure they're issues, right? So like for me, if someone were to do a sleep assessment on me, like, well, I fall asleep with the TV on. Technically, that's a violation. (laughs) But it's my sound machine. You know, like for me, that's my sound machine. It's not keeping me awake. Like I'm not so drawn into the episode that it keeps me awake. And if I wake up in the middle of the night, I fall back asleep without it. So like, it's not just about identifying like, things that could potentially be interfering, but making sure that they actually are interfering. Cause I would be really mad at someone if they said, Oh, your phone has to go. You can't have that show on. And I, and like <laughs> that disrupts my sleep because like I was doing fine. <laughs> well, here's my thing though. It's like, everyone talks about blue light and a hat and, and like an, at least an hour before bed, get rid of as much blue light or ambient light as you can. Um, to help you fall asleep better, deeper. Um, how do you feel, like, even with the TV, like, I don't know. I would love to just even do this with myself. Like, it wouldn't be super scientific, but just myself, like, for a week or two weeks, keep a sleep journal and and do different phases. Like one, I would, one test condition I would do is like fall asleep with the, just fall asleep with the TV on. And how does that, how does my quality of sleep, how, I mean, how does that affect my quality of sleep? And then another week, another week or two, read before bed, fall asleep without any TV, any electronics, and see how my quality of sleep is like with that. Because that's something that they talk about is, yeah, you can fall asleep with TV on, but how good, I mean, how well is the quality of sleep? Yeah. And I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's a personal preference. Um, there's definitely times that I feel like um, me watching TV at, late at night in my, I mean, at, in my bed definitely affects like the quality of my sleep. And there's times that I wake up earlier and it, it just um, affects my sleep cycle. Um, and then there's times that, you know, um, if I don't have the TV on, I know there's times that I definitely feel like so much more rested. I mean, I'm feel, I feel like I, I slept so much better, yeah. but I don't know. I mean... That's but I think that's where like those apps and stuff come in, right? That like measure your sleep quality. I don't know enough about which ones are good and, and what to use or whatever, but yeah. I think you'd have to have something like that to like get that data to really see the difference. It's not just about how you felt you slept. Cause like when you had sleep apnea, you woke up exhausted, but you didn't necessarily know like what it was that was causing that exhaustion. Yeah. But I also had symptoms that I could tell, like I could tell that I have a dry throat. I, and that's not, and when you fall asleep, you, you don't, you're not supposed to wake up with a sore throat or dry throat or dry mouth. Um, typically, um, you should wake up and 
you know, that shouldn't be an issue unless there's something else, like community or something else going on. But I, and, I, and that's where that alarmed me was like, oh, maybe I should look into this. I am like 280 pounds. I mean, I'm not healthy. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so back on the topic of um, sleep, I have an app on my phone called Sleep Watch. And I use it in conjunction with my at my Apple Watch. I know um, when I had a Fitbit, the Fitbits are great for um, tracking your sleep, and I love the Fitbit um, platform. I just want like the reason why I went to Apple Watch is because I wanted to have, I mean, get a watch that's more functional. And then Apple just released in their uh, in their last um, conference that they're coming out with a with the in the within the new iOS uh, actual sleep tracking uh, app that's already built into the ecosystem with Apple. Um, cool. Yeah, so I'm super excited about that. I know uh, there is a fitness tracker called Whoop W H O O P um, that has a bunch of it analyzes like almost, I mean, like it analyzes a lot of data, more than my Apple Watch and more than a Fitbit does. Yeah. And it's, uh, I think it's super, it's affordable. And if you're really into data and wanting to know about your physical fitness and your sleep, it's a, uh, it's worthwhile to look into. But um, I do, I, I do track my sleep just because I want to hit at least seven hours, if not eight hours of sleep, because overall you're going to lose, um, you're going to lose more weight by having a good sleeping pattern too. Um, it does affect your overall health and how your body responds to trying to lose weight, trying to uh, how your body responds to recovering from workouts so it's really important to know not only how you feel, but also how much you slept or your your um, different stages of sleep. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, and I know, like we mentioned before, that Dr. Hanley's assessment has a lot of good tips for um, adults as well. And I think I would imagine reading Dr. Duran's book, you would find similar information too. So. Um, I think one of the things that I remember from Hanley's training, there was discussion around, you kind of already mentioned it, but just making sure to have like your set routine each night is just as important for a, a child as it is for you as an adult. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you have like a, a, a general time where you go to bed and wake up um, and like general things you do during that like hour or so before bed, that yeah. can help with higher quality sleep as well. Um, but... It and he does say avoid completing school or work tasks, watching television, <laughs> using your laptop or other electronics, and engaging in fun conversations in bed during the day. Yes, and I, that's that we we touched on that earlier yeah. too. I think that's great to bring that up again. So um, we talked about the little boy where it was like he yeah. got out of bed because we didn't want to condition things with the bed that weren't related to sleep. Just yeah. as important if you're an adult. <laughs> um, and. Yeah. And that's what uh, even Sean Stevenson said too, like in his podcast. Um, and I'm, sh and he said that's in his book too, but uh, 
he says like for him and his wife um when he goes to bed it's to it's for bed yeah. um he does not allow any electronics in in bed his wife and him they do not have a tv in the bedroom their bedroom is for sleep yeah um nothing else so um that's something to think about too I kind of wonder, and I, I shouldn't have to because I was a traveler and hopefully will be again someday, yeah. um, what that means for people that, you know, there's people who travel more than I do that are in different beds almost every night. You know what I mean? So like in yeah. terms of conditioning sleep or like, oh, like learning how to sleep on a plane, I'll tell you what I used to, <laughs> I used to always have like work to bring with me on the plane. Cause it was like, well, going to be here for eight hours and I don't have anything else to do. But like, it took maybe like three or four trips for me to learn. Traveling with Ryan definitely helped because he can sleep anywhere. Um, but <laughs> like, so he would be sleeping and I would, I'd be like, well, I could, I don't have anyone to talk to and I don't like you're sleeping. So I guess I'll sleep too. So I learned pretty quickly how to fall asleep on a plane as well. So, you know, where people can condition themselves yeah. <laughs> to fall asleep, um, especially like given different environments that you have to be yeah. in and whatnot. Um, obviously people like in the military or um, especially right now with COVID, like doctors and stuff that have to be in different environments that they have to get sleep, right? So yeah. like how, when you have to sleep in different environments, do you condition that as well? Right? Yeah. You're also at a certain point, you're depriving yourself of sleep. So sleeping should be a lot easier too it should be <laughs> it should be but for uh, taylor at least when he that was oh my gosh i was like second to the night terrors was the like crap we dealt with in like november and december because we were traveling too much and his sleep got off and it was like yeah. the less sleep he got the more he didn't want to sleep um and it was it was just this horrible cycle of like his behavior was getting out of control it was harder to get him to go to sleep because he was so sleep deprived and he was just like yeah. wired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So th that's an interesting topic. Um, I, I would love to see if there's any researcher, if anyone uh, actually dives into that at all, because um, that would be a huge issue if you are a traveler, but you know, how good of quality of sleep are you getting or how does that affect your sleep traveling? Yeah. So, yeah. because there are people that probably tra that travel internationally and are in different time zones all the time. Yeah. I'll tell you what, for me, when I was traveling in like 2018 and 2019 and mm -hmm. part of 2017, it was amazing because <laughs> I was getting better sleep regardless because I didn't have like a newborn. <laughs> well, <laughs> I never traveled when Taylor was a newborn, but I didn't have an infant or a toddler, you know, yeah. uh, either sucking out all of my energy during the day or at night, like waking up multiple times in the middle of the night, I could just sleep uninterrupted. I, I don't understand how parents don't travel <laughs> like, <laughs> to get away from that. And like, get like, I, I have friends who, you know, they have like three or four children and they had them all like kind of back to back. So they haven't gotten like an uninterrupted night of sleep in like a decade or something. I was like, how do you, how are you? How do you function? I don't understand. <laughs> but um, one last thing I wanted to mention, it's not about adult sleep, and but it just didn't really fit into the other questions that we had. Uh, I do talk about this in a little bit more detail in the sleep webinar that I mentioned earlier. But yeah. one of the things around 
assessing sleep, and I think this does come in technically for adults and children, is like um, the deficits around like being able to like relax yourself. So like that's a part that comes in a lot of times for adults. It's more like the ruminating thoughts, you know, that they that people might have that like keep them awake. Um, For learners, I've had cases where you know a child's like nine or ten, and the parents like. They won't, they, they don't hardly ever sleep. And I'm watching the kid like buzz around the room and I'm there for like two hours and the child never stops moving. And it's like, well, (laughs) if you, you know, if all day long, he's never sitting and like relaxing, how would we expect all of a sudden that's just going to shut off because it's seven o'clock and you want him to go to bed. Yeah. So like, I think that's an important thing that people miss out on, you know, what skills are required for calming, relaxing your body, closing your eyes and going to sleep. Um, and how do you train those and practice those? Um, so I do talk about that in that webinar. I won't go into a whole lot of detail on here because we've already been talking for almost two hours again. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, that is something I think is important to think about for yourself as an adult, if you're always on the go and you never slow yourself down, but also for your learners, um, you know, is that something, is that a skill they have? And if not making sure you're targeting that, uh, throughout the day. Yeah, that's, that's, when I was working two like two jobs, that was me. I was always on the go. And there was never time for me to rest. And if there was a time for me to rest, it was during professional development or a team <laughs> meeting at, after school yeah. at that two o'clock time period. Yeah, let me tell you, I was ready to go <laughs> during those meetings <laughs> all the time. Because I was finally like able to sit and relax. And I'm like, oh. I'm tired. <laughs> so. Yeah. All right. Well, all I right. think we talked about all the things. I don't, I mean, I guess that was my closing thought. Do you have any yeah. other closing thoughts? I I just, I mean, like for me, I just think that sleep is a really important topic to learn more about. Even if you're not BCBA, if you're a parent and you're listening to our podcast, I think it's worthwhile to talk about, I mean, talk to, about this with your BCBA, or if you don't have a BCBA, to go ahead and um, do some research yourself or seek out guidance from a sleep consultant on the topic. And um, especially if you have a child who has sleep issues, or if yourself you you're having issues with falling asleep or staying asleep or waking up at on time, uh, that would be something to look into. But um, I think the biggest take home point is that sleep is important. And no matter who we are, we could always do a little bit better with sleeping. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, everyone go forth on your quest to do better. Bye. Bye. Bye.